When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Mail checks, invoices, documents, and everything you need to keep your business running. Get rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS. And with the mobile app, you can take care of mailing on the go. Make the same no-brainer decisions as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up at Stamps.com with code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. It's Friday, March 25th, 2022. I'm Jackson Bird. Today, digital resting points are an increasingly popular way to recharge and slow down in the midst of endless scrolling. Plus, are we facing a sensory extinction? And meet the giant, eerie, glowing orb that might be installed in London. Here is some cool stuff for your ride home. Even if you've never heard the term digital resting point before, you've probably experienced one. You ever been scrolling through a feed on Instagram or Twitter or somewhere, and all of a sudden you see a post that reminds you to relax your jaw, take a sip of water, or just stare at a slow-moving video clip for a while, maybe of wind blowing through a meadow or steam rising up from a cup of coffee? Or maybe someone posts a series of puppy photos to distract on a particularly intense Newsday. It's something I've seen for years within certain types of communities online, especially more self-care-oriented ones. It was pretty big on Tumblr back in the day. A recognition that we're all spending a bit too much time on our devices, but rather than telling us outright to log off, like Nickelodeon used to do over the summer with their commercials that literally told us to turn off the TV and go play outside, instead a person will post a nice photo or video clip and add some encouragement to slow down and relax. With the many mounting crises in the world and the increased amount of time people have spent online for the past couple of years, the concept is growing in popularity again, with a new name and slightly different take. More videos and audio, less outright reminders to drink water or take a few deep breaths. Taylor Lawrence, writing from her new position at the Washington Post, credits the popularization of now-dubbed digital resting points to 27-year-old TikTok and Instagram creator Gabby Abrao. But, Lawrence says, you can find digital resting points anywhere. Twitter audio rooms that are silent or feature only ambient nature sounds, TikToks that pan a quiet horizon, quoting Lawrence. The format of TikTok and Instagram Reels lends itself to this type of immersive experience. Digital resting points fill your whole screen, and are meant to be consumed with the sound on. But people create them on Twitter, too, usually by posting an aesthetically pleasing photo or group of images. Content made to relax and soothe the audience isn't a new concept on social media. Slime videos, soap carving, nature videos, ASMR, and other genres operate in this niche. But the phrasing on digital resting points transforms them into a reward. The congratulations implies an achievement. Stay as long as you like connotes a place, end quote. 
That place connotation and the congratulations that often accompanies these posts can make it feel like you stumbled on something cool during an adventure, which is how a lot of content is framed on TikTok in particular. The For You page, the main feed on TikTok, operates on a hyper-responsive algorithm, so you're presented with an endless scroll of videos and can easily find yourself down increasingly niche verticals. It's not uncommon for a video to pop up saying, if you're watching this, you've made it to foraging TikTok or dad TikTok or gluten-free baking TikTok. Like earlier iterations of digital resting points, there's a bit of a paradox within them. They want you to remember the beauty of the non-digital world while also keeping you in the digital one. Jamie Kish, a marine biologist and photographer who makes digital resting points on TikTok, told Lawrence, quote, social media started out as an escape. Social media was the rest stop throughout my day. Now, with more information and life being brought to these digital spaces, you need a rest stop there, too. End quote. And content creator Aiden Arata echoed many people's desires to find a way to work with the technology that pervades every aspect of our lives, rather than break away from it completely, saying, quote, There's such an overwhelming deluge of information. I don't think we're all going to join a commune, but is there a way to actually work with technology and social media to give ourselves a break? End quote. Many people explain digital resting points as in direct opposition to doom scrolling. If you are going to be scrolling a bit aimlessly and trudging through horrible news, frustrating debates, and more, well, at least you could break it up by being surprised with some pretty pictures and relaxing videos. Quoting again, Some creators say that producing and consuming digital resting point content is a reaction to late capitalism and how much more online we've all become in the past two years. Their rise coincides with the growing popularity of slow living and trends such as cottagecore that embrace a technology-free life. The very ability to rest has recently been promoted as a political act, the writer Greta Rainbow wrote in the newsletter Dirt in 2021. For everyone on social media, leisure secretly slips into labor, end quote. Of course, people have already tried gaming the system, using the current popularity of digital resting points to gain views, and some brands have tried hopping on the trend as well. And while most people seem to prefer a more organic digital resting point, at the end of the day, if it does what it's meant to do and helps you kind of slow down and clear your head in the midst of endless scrolling, it's not all bad. So much about the idea is paradoxical anyways. Lawrence describes the resting points as speaking to users' desire for permission to log off without fully logging off, which I think a lot of us feel. Would I rather actually go sit on a hillside at sunset and listen to the wind blow through the grass? Of course. But like for so many people, that's not a realistically accessible option for me most of the time. So I guess experiencing it virtually is the next best thing. And while I'd rarely go out of my way to load up a five-minute video of a sunset, if I happened on it while I was already wasting time scrolling through social media, I might stop and watch. That's part of the whole concept. There's an element of tricking yourself into it and being pleasantly surprised. Or, of course, you can keep scrolling past to get to the sharper dopamine hits further down your feed.
Last Friday, I talked all about light pollution and the huge ways that artificial light has changed our world. Well, today, I want to talk about sound, how human, machine, and animal sound has changed over time, the impacts on the planet, and what one biologist calls the looming sensory extinction. David George Haskell is that biologist, a professor at the University of the South, and a writer of several nonfiction nature books. Vox recently interviewed him about his latest, Sounds Wild and Broken, Sonic Marvels, Evolution's Creativity, and the Crisis of Sensory Extinction. Now, depending on where you live, the dominant sounds around you could be the honks and whirs of traffic, or instead the chirping of birds and insects. And while us humans and our inventions are typically thought of as the prime suspects for noise pollution, we're not the only noisy creatures on this planet. And for a long time before all of us animals arrived, the Earth was comparatively much quieter. For billions of years, the main sounds on Earth were of wind, water, thunder, and as Haskell says, quote, the tremors of cell walls, end quote. And he makes a distinction between the sounds produced by organic life in their movements and chemical reactions versus intentional communicative sound, which wouldn't come for hundreds of millions of years after complex animals evolved. And part of the reason for that is likely because the world was relatively so much quieter that even vibrations from an animal's movement could alert a predator to their presence. So making even more noise was not exactly advantageous. The first creature on Earth to use sound to communicate, as far as we know, a cricket. Or an insect that looks a bit like a cricket and, according to a fossil found in southern France, has a knobby ridge that serves no other purpose than creating sound. Whether the creature used sound for mating or as some sort of offensive or defensive mechanism is uncertain. But Haskell points out that those crickets, and also the first vertebrates to make sounds, frogs, were both excellent jumpers. They could quickly leap to safety if their sounds attracted the attention of a predator. In fact, to this day, salamanders, who can't leap away as quickly as their frog cousins, make almost no sound. The world today has gotten a bit more mixed up, though, thanks largely to humans. Quoting Haskell and Vox, What makes life work is connections between species and individuals within them. We connect through the senses, and we're pumping massive amounts of sound into some ecosystems that block the capability of animals to live. There's a sensory crisis of just total overload. We're setting off explosions in the oceans through seismic exploration for oil that are audible over hundreds of miles loud enough to kill things that are unlucky enough to be nearby and drive away others. Around interstates or heavy industry in some cities, there's so much sound that insects and birds and frogs can't hear one another. Human life is also extremely negatively affected. Noise isn't just an annoyance. It causes cardiovascular disease, prevents children from learning, and fragments neighborhoods. A sensory crisis is a real crisis causing measurable harm, and also intersects with some of these other problems. End quote. Haskell continues to explain that the ocean is one of the worst places for what he terms sonic hell, in part because despite humans causing all of the new noise beneath the sea, we aren't experiencing any of the detriments directly like we are by human-caused noise pollution on land, but the sea creatures are. Sound penetrates all of their tissues, Haskell says, so our drilling and shipping and exploring is causing ocean species to be fully immersed in these sounds that they have no control over. 
But for all the sound we humans are forcing on the world, we've also been taking away a lot of it. Haskell explains that throughout the history of the world, sound increased commensurately with increases in biodiversity. Flowers, in particular, assisted with this 100 million years ago by boosting the nutrients and habitats available to all manner of species, who were then able to evolve further, splitting into more and more species, many with their own unique sounds. But now, as we continue to cut down forests or plow over natural lands, we're removing those ecosystems that produce such diverse species. More and more are going extinct, so the sounds of those ecosystems are quieter or gone altogether. But why should we care, really? Quoting again from Haskell and Vox, To have a vital and just future on this planet, we need fully functioning forests, because forests are where medicine and food and fuel and soil and clean air and clean water come from. The same is true for prairies and healthy oceans. By listening to these habitats, we can ensure a better future for ourselves and for those who come after us. Think of a piece of music. Out of silence comes a brief experience of narrative and form, beauty and connection. That's what the narrative arc of the planet is doing, coming out of and going into silence, with a brief expression of beauty and form and narrative and connection and meaning in the middle. There's no single composer, no solitary musical genius. Instead, there are billions of musical geniuses out there, all creating this beautiful anarchy of sound. End quote. And to that end, as we reflect on the actions we can take in our own communities to be more aware of the sounds around us, where they come from, and how to protect them, I offer this brief chance to pause and listen to the sounds of the natural world at the Mount Rainier National Park in Washington State. Consider it a bit of a digital resting point within today's podcast. I'll meet you on the other side. London's skyline could be changing again in a couple of years when the Madison Square Garden Company installs a giant glowing orb as tall as Big Ben in East London. The orb will be a 21,500 capacity venue billed as the next generation of immersive experiences, making it the largest concert venue in the United Kingdom. The glowing part that I described is thanks to what will be the biggest and highest resolution LED screen in the world. The mock-up images make it literally look like a giant sphere sitting in the middle of the city, the exterior LED giving it a sort of magic crystal ball effect. It'll be programmable, so it might light up different colors and designs, kind of like the Empire State Building, but according to The Guardian, it will also be covered in advertisements a lot of the time. 
Not surprisingly, the project has faced a ton of opposition from locals who don't want this five-acre orb blasting ads they can see through their kitchen windows, as well as from some city officials and the owners of London's currently biggest venue, the O2. Despite that, the orb has received planning approval, but still needs to go through more of the approvals process, including getting approval from Mayor Sadiq Khan, who is said to be in support of the orb as a boost to the city's reputation as a music hub. It is worth noting that MSG has also been building an identical sphere venue in Las Vegas, which is due to open next year. It makes a bit more sense in kind of gimmicky Las Vegas, but honestly, Londoners were opposed to the London Eye becoming a permanent installation, and now it's an iconic part of their skyline, so maybe the same thing will happen with this weird orb. Well, NASA is teasing us again. They've said that they have a new observation from the Hubble Space Telescope that they will be sharing with us on Wednesday, March 30th, but they won't say what it is. NASA says this will be one for the record books and extend our understanding of the universe. But honestly, considering the scope of Hubble and NASA's tendency to overhype announcements, it really could be anything. But keep an eye out for some sort of announcement next Wednesday. And in case you've ever been drinking a Pepsi and thought, man, I wish this were even sweeter, the soda company just teamed up with IHOP for a limited edition Pepsi maple syrup cola. All you have to do to get your hands on one of the admittedly very cool looking cans is tweet Pepsi a picture or video of pancakes and then hope to be chosen in their sweepstakes. They're also giving away a custom syrup spout that fits onto a can of soda and looks completely ridiculous ridiculous, which of course means that I have to have it. But that's it from me for this week. This show was produced by Ride Home Media. I'm Jackson Bird, and I will talk to you again on Monday.